Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. Working out of Luke 7 tonight. Um, if you guys have a Bible in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 864 in the Pew Bibles that we have. Um, and as you guys are turning there, and we'll have it on the screen as well. Um, <clears throat> those are in the Black Pew Bibles. Um, yeah, so as you guys are turning there, um, I was reading this passage and it made me think of a parable that was kind of circling around uh, the internet. Um, this was a couple of years ago, and you can never really tell if these like viral stories are true or not, but um, basically the, the, this one guy was talking about how he was at an airport and, um, you know, next to him was, was his father. And his, the father's kid was just, like, going nuts. He was, like, misbehaving, like, running around, screaming, um, just totally out of control. And the father wasn't doing anything at all. He just put, put his head down. He was ignoring him. And so everybody in this whole, you know, terminal is just looking at this father, like, what is he doing, you know? Um, we've all been in that situation where we're at a store or something, we see a kid going nuts, we're like, what is a parent doing, right? And then we have kids, and we realize, oh, actually, there's literally you can do, but um, anyway, uh, so anyway, you know, he starts making the, these judgments about this father, and, um, and he's just thinking, man, like, this guy must be a terrible father, doesn't care that his kid's making this scene in public, and then, you know, after, you know, 15 minutes, of this going on, the guy turns to him and he just says, hey, you know, uh, my, my, I'm sorry, my wife actually just passed away. I just found out about an hour ago, and I'm not really sure what to do. My kid doesn't know how to handle this. And, and he realized in that moment that um, there was a deeper explanation to the story. So there was this scene, and he made a lot of pre, uh, you know, preconceived judgments about it. Um, but then when he, when he saw the bigger picture... When he, when he saw kind of what was behind it, his, his view of it changed. Um, his view of this, of, of, uh, of this scene changed. And, and we have a story like that tonight in Luke 7, starting in verse 36. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a wild story, um, but it's one that has a lot of riches uh, to uh, inform us about. And, and my main point tonight is that um, it's very simple, that the, the gospel resources us to love God and love others. Um, and so the first point as we enter into this passage is that the gospel um, helps us know ourselves. And so starting in verse 36 in the book of Luke, in chapter 7, it goes like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And so Luke, in this biography of Jesus that he recorded, um, he tells this story about um, this Pharisee. And we'll find out later in the passage that the Pharisee's name is Simon. Um, invites Jesus. We don't know why he invited Jesus, but he must have seen Jesus out teaching. And as he was kind of on his itinerant teaching um, you know, route and uh, you know, heard him teach, um, heard about him, invites him into his home. And so Simon is a Pharisee, and um, there's only one other recording of a Pharisee, which, which was a, a specific religious uh, teacher 
in a specific religious sect um, in Israel at the time who, who oftentimes rubbed up against Jesus. There's only one other instance of a Pharisee um, inviting Jesus into, into dialogue or inviting him you know, uh, to, to learn more about him. Um, and that's Nicodemus in John 3. So Simon, kind of odd that he would invite Jesus in, and it's kind of bold too because um, the, pa- the party or the dinner that he invites him into would have been a public affair. So dinners in this context weren't like where you just send out an evite and have like five people over and like no one else knows about it. This would be like your whole apartment building would know about this dinner party you're having. It could come in and out as they please. Anyone in the community could come in and out within this culture. And so here, Simon is inviting Jesus in and Everybody knows they're of like they're like kind of like of rival groups, so to speak, um, and invites him into this dinner. And and this woman enters, and this woman in this story is going to be contrasted with Simon. So we have Simon, this religious leader, this religious teacher, this righteous holy man, and we have this woman that we're going to find in verse thirty-seven, and and, and Luke kind of contrasts them. And so in verse thirty-seven, it says a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she had heard about this. And she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so here we see in verse 37, and the phraseology is different in translations in describing this woman, but it says a a woman in that town, some translations say a woman of the city who lived a sinful life. And most commentators agree that there's enough context here to to know uh, that that she, she would have been a sex worker. She would have been a prostitute. And so this woman enters in, you know, hears about, um, same thing as Simon. Must have seen Jesus teaching on his itinerant teaching route and was compelled to find him and finds out that he's at this Pharisee's home and goes to this religious leader's home. So you read it at face value, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is dinner party. But no, this, this, think, think about how interesting this dynamic that's set up is, where the, this sex worker is inviting herself into this religious leader's uh, dinner party, right? And, and, and just think about, you know, perhaps the, the, uh, the awkwardness or kind of the, the you know, oddness um, that the guests might have perceived this and um, just kind of like the mixed um, company that would have been there. And so she's bold in doing this too. And um, I have a picture up here of how people would have been seated. If you could throw that, that picture up. Um, yeah, so basically the way that people would have been seated at this dinner party is they would have not had their feet under the table, but they would have, had, they would have been on kind of like a couch and they would have had their feet kind of outwards and their elbows would have been on the table, kind of like at a bar or something on so. Uh, but so th- this is uh, the best that we know about kind of how um, they would have been seated in this situation. And all of a sudden, this woman who enters into this home, she makes a scene. And in verse 38, it says, She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And so... There's no, like, cultural consent. This is a weird scene for them. This is a weird scene for us. This is an awkward situation. And, um, yeah, this, this woman, she lets her hair down, 
which this would have been a conservative culture where her hair would have been tied up. She, she might have had a head covering on. And so for her to let her hair down was, was something that you would only kind of do in the intimacy of your home. And she begins wiping his feet with her hair. And, her t- and she's crying. She's weeping. And she, she takes this perfume and she pours it on his feet. And um, yeah, everybody would have been looking. She would have been the center of attention. She would have been the center of attention at this, um, at this dinner. And we see in verse 39 that Simon responds. And uh, as the host, he, sa- he says, When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Right? And so he sees this scene, and he doesn't even question the, I guess, the oddness of, like, the situ- of what she's doing. He's not like, oh, I don't, I don't like feet. That's really gross. Like, he's not like, oh, like, why is she using her hair? Like, this is a dis- None of that. What, the first thing that he goes to is, is he questions Jesus' identity because of the identity of the woman. The fact that Jesus is, embra- is letting this woman embrace him, that he's, he's, in a sense, kind of embracing her and, and letting this thing happen. And he says, if this man was a prophet, and implicit in that is that there's, there's, either, there's only a few options. It's either he doesn't know who she is, and therefore he's not a prophet in that like, prophetic sense, or he does know who she is, and he's letting this happen. And if that's the case, he's not a righteous man. He's not a holy man. He's not a, he's not a prophet in that sense. And so he questions Jesus' identity. And the issue that Simon has is one that I could relate to. Um, you know, I, I think about, I was in high school, and I was driving with my friend, and this was before I would identify myself as a Christian or a Jesus follower, and, and, and uh, I remember my friend told me, yeah, you know, my ex-girlfriend, she started going to this youth group, and, and like, she considers herself like a born-again Christian or something. And I was just like, what does that even, what does that mean? And, uh, and he goes, yeah, you know, like, like he believes, that, or she believes that, you know, uh, now she believes in Jesus and like all her sins are forgiven and like, you know, she's like going to this youth group all the time. And I was just like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, and, and for me, I, you know, I remember just thinking that that seems like a cop out. Uh, that, that, that seems like, that seems cheap. Like, like she just wants cover for whatever she's done in her life. And now she could just turn to Jesus and everything's all right, right? And, and so I actually, I can empathize with Simon here. He sees this woman come in and, and we have no indication, like, you know, he, he knows of her from, you know, her, her standing in the community and she just goes up to Jesus, and Jesus embraces her. And it just seems, um, it seems, it seems too easy. Um, and so Jesus answers him in verse forty. And this is where we'll bring us. Uh, oh, Jesus answers him in verse forty and says, um, "Simon, I have something to tell you." So, um, one thing about any time in Scripture, whenever Jesus is like, "Hey, let me tell you a story." You messed up. <laughs> so, Simon, so now Simon's going to get a story, and he's like, oh, great, a story. So, um, so he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And so Jesus tells this very brief parable, um, and there's, there's three characters in the parable. There's these two people that owe debt. And our best guess at you know, what a denarii would be is, is a day's wage. So one of them owes 500 days' wages, and the other one owes 50 days' wages, and, and this money lender forgives them. Right? Um, and so Jesus kind of, or, uh, Simon processes the story and can kind of put it together. Okay, you know, I guess I'm this person that owes 50 denarii, and this woman's this person that owes 500. And, you know, okay, cool, you know, I've processed your story. But, um, and, that's, and that's kind of, if, if we hear the parable, immediately the way that we process the story. This is this comparison. You know, there's these two people. They owe this debt. One owes 500, one owes 50. This person who's forgiven 500. It's a great story. But, but there's actually something that Jesus does, which is very subversive um, and would have really... Uh, challenge Simon's identity of himself. Because at the end of the day, um, Simon, in a sense, wasn't inaccurate with his judgment of the woman. I mean, you know, he was just identifying her, uh, her occupation, her activity. We get no indication that he was wrong. But the posture of his judgment actually reveals a lot more about how he views himself than about how he views the woman. And what I mean by that is that Jesus says this very specific thing in here, which, which is really subversive to Simon's view of himself. And, and he says, um, neither, it's in verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so, yes, this... This one, uh, this one person owed 500 denarii, right? And this other person owed 50, but, but neither of them had the money to pay back. And so, Simon, you right now are, are judging, you know, this woman, the fact that I embrace her, the fact that I'm allowing her to, to be here at my feet. Um, but, but Simon... Simon is, like, perfectly righteous to have Jesus into his home. Simon is perfectly righteous to host Jesus and, and have this meal with him. Simon is, is a perfectly, you know, good enough person for, to, to associate with Jesus, but this woman isn't. And what, um, and what Jesus is telling him is that, look, neither of you, based on your own righteousness, neither of you are more likely to receive my embrace than the other. Both of you owe a debt that you can't pay. Both of you are sinners. You know, you identified her as a sinful person. Sure, so are you. And neither of you deserve for me to be here. In in, in that sense, in the sense in which you're judging, you you were just as guilty as a woman. You know, it's... If, if someone were to get bit by a spider while they were sleeping and just not wake up, right? Really clean death, type of death, I'd like to die, right? Just like, no, right? It's kind of, kind of dark, Renee. But, uh, but, you know, 
no pain, just doesn't wake up, right? You, you look at them, it looks like they're sleeping, right? And then another person gets mauled by a bear, torn apart, just all their, their limbs ripped off, just like, just vicious, right? One's pretty, pretty dead, right? And one is ugly dead, right? But, but, but both of them are dead. The point is not that, that one is more dead than the other. The point is not like, okay, Spider-Man, right? So, um, so in the same way, Jesus is saying, look, both of you owe a debt that you can't pay back. And Ephesians 2 even would use this language to say that in our sin, all of us are spiritually dead, right? And so Simon, just like this woman, um, you know, he was a sinful person as well. And so all of us really do this thing that Simon does. All of us do this. All of us are Simon. Um, all of us have a tendency where we, we self-justify ourselves and we view ourselves, we view our own righteousness in comparison to other people. We're the type of people that go to church every Sunday. We're the type of people that might even serve in church every Sunday. We're the type of people with the right political belief. We're the type of people that go out and serve the community. We're the type of people that work hard, right, and, 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 and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. And um, at the end of the day, we are judging our own righteousness. We are self-justifying ourselves, not in comparison to some standard that, that God has set out, not even compared to a standard that really we have set out because, you know, we, we would fall short of that too, but we're comparing ourselves to other people. And this is what Simon is doing. Um, and here, we see that this self-justification actually teaches us quite a bit and refines quite a bit this, uh, really what sin is. I have this quote from, uh, from Tim Keller, right? Because it's my last word. All right, so here then is Jesus' radical redefinition of what is wrong with us. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus, though, shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most profligate moral person. Why? Because sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. And here's where this man stands. And so Simon, or Jesus rather, reveals to Simon through this parable his condition. He engages him and... and, and, uh, and, and reveals more of, of his condition. And so, um, so cool, both of them can't pay the debt off. But the good news of this story, the good news of this parable, right, is that both of these people were forgiven their debt. And that brings us to our second point. The gospel helps us love God. So here, um, Jesus actually debriefs us on this very odd behavior and activity from earlier in the story. He says, Then he turned towards the woman. And said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I answered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So here we have an explanation of this woman's action. 
um, we see here that um, contrasted to Simon's action, um, this woman was responding to God's love for her. She was responding to to Jesus' forgiveness of her. Um, Contrasted to Simon, who even on just like a human kind of hospitality level, showed very little honor or love to Jesus, right? I mean, if you had a house guest, and if you had like an esteemed itinerant teacher house guest come into your home, um, you know, you would at least, and here Jesus says, you know, give a little bit of water, um, you know, for him to wash his feet. You know, I'm originally from Long Beach, and at every single one of the ramps on the boardwalk, when you get off, there's, there's, there's a place for you to wash your feet off, right? And here Jesus would have been traveling miles in sandals and gets here, doesn't even get any water to, to, to wipe his feet. He doesn't give, even get a kiss of, of, of kind of like honor and hospitality. He doesn't get any oil um, to, to, to be anointed with. And here this woman, we see, is compelled to find Jesus and show him honor, and show him love. And, and, and we see a little bit um, deeper about this in, in the fact that she poured this perfume out. So what was the significance with this perfume? Well, this perfume would have been the most expensive thing that she had. It's very valuable. But it also would have been a tool of her occupation. It would have been something that she carried around to, 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 attract, to, be, you know, to attract people, a perfume. And, um, and this woman breaks this perfume and pours it on his feet. And what is she saying? She's saying here that if you are who you say you are, and if you've done what, what you know, if, if, if I could be forgiven, right, then I have to give up everything to you. Central to this parable is that the moneylender forgave, right, these two debts, and as you know, if you forgive a debt, it costs you something. It costs you something, right? And central to the Christian gospel is that God has forgiven our debt. And it cost him something, right? We believe that God became a human being, wrote himself into history, as if Shakespeare wrote himself into one of his own stories, lived a perfect life. And, and, and the execution that Jesus experienced on the cross was not just a political execution um, or him you know, being persecuted for, for ruffling people's feathers, although it was, but also on the cross, the way that 1 Corinthians puts it is that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might have access to forgiveness we might be fully forgiven and accepted in spite of our debt that we owe. He paid our debt. And so here, her response to this is, as Jesus debriefs us, love. She was forgiven much. She's experienced, she's seen the cost. She's seen um, this, this great debt of hers, her sin, be paid for. She was forgiven, right? And so her response to that is love. And this is great news because, because, you know, when people say, oh, you should love God, you should love God more, love God, right? That could be an abstract concept, right? How am I supposed to, supposed to love God? Am I supposed to try harder? Am I supposed to think about God more? Like, like how exactly does that work? Like, you know, I, I remember our, 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 uh, 
our mission statement in New OBSP, love God, love people, serve the world. And when we had to kind of define that love God part, it could get a little confusing. It could get a little abstract. But here, Jesus gives us something tangible. He says, she was forgiven much, so she loves much. Her love was a response. It was a response to a tangible something, a tangible action of Jesus. Her response was love. And so when we, um, when, when, when we doubt God's love for us, we have a tangible thing we could look to. We could look to the cross and know that his love for us is perfect and we are accepted by him. If we feel like our relationship, our intimacy with God is waning, we have something to meditate on. If we could actually meditate on our great debt and his great forgiveness to us, right? And so there's this, this, this actual tangible relational aspect to this idea of love God. Jesus is laying, out, laying this out to us here. You know, I find this very helpful because I find prayer sometimes very abstract. I find, I find this idea of loving God very abstract, even as a pastor. Um, and, and, and meditating on this is so helpful for me. And, I, you know, I, I just think about, um, you know, Jonathan mentions we got some friends back, right? And I just think about Zamir, right? Zamir left for college. Um, feels like it was eight years ago. It feels like you already have your doctorate, but it's only been, you know, less than that. And so, um, uh, you know, and, and Zamir, for, the, for those of you guys who don't know, Zamir was, was someone who I spent, you know, almost every day with for like five years, I was the youth group leader. He, I've known him since he was in middle school. And then he goes away to college, right? And something happens when you, you stop seeing someone, right, that you, you used to see all the time. And it's, you know, we see each other maybe once a year, twice a year. We, we text, we talk. But, but there, there's a degree to which our relationship can become kind of abstract, right? Um, our, you know, our, our, the, the intimacy of our friendship could wane, Right? Um, but there's something that Apple has done where when you open your photos up now, right, and for those of you who have an Apple, you, you know, as you open up your photos now and it gives you these memories. Do you remember in 2018 when you and Zamir went to Wendy's? And here's a photo of you and Zamir. I went, and so, you know, there are moments where I'll open up my photos and I'll see Zamir there. And I'll remember this moment that we had. And all of a sudden, our friendship isn't so abstract. It's like, I remember those times I had with him, you know, and, and, and I'm filled with gratitude. I'm filled with something real, this tangible response to the memories that me and Jesus, is, uh, me and Zamir have had. You're not there yet, brother. You're not there. Uh, but, and so um, here, we see the same thing. Jesus is saying, there's something tangible that you could respond to if you want to love God. And so, we contrast this with um, Simon, who has this cool intellectual detachment, um, really, to who Jesus is, right? He's, he's a teacher, he calls him teacher, he's kind of maybe a prophet, but now he's kind of doubting that. Um, and there's a lot of things similar between the woman and, um, and Simon. They both wanted to learn more about Jesus. They both wanted to hear more about him as a teacher, right? They, they both maybe even wanted to orient their life around some of the things that he said, right? But what we see here is the difference. What is the difference? This woman 
she committed. She became vulnerable. When she broke open that perfume, what was she saying? She was saying, I don't care what it costs. I want you in my life. And I'm dependent. I'm going to reorient everything around you. Right? So she put herself in a vulnerable position with Jesus. Even if it costs me my livelihood, I will reorient my life around you because of who you are and what you've done for me. And so the, the difference here is, is really just one of dependence, right? Um, Simon is still keeping his distance. Um, he hasn't committed, right? You, you, you know, I think about um, how hard it is to be a linebacker in the NFL. Not that I would know that. But, but um, you know, part of, part of being a linebacker is you are right in the middle of the field, Right? And before the snap even comes, you have to commit to the run or the pass. You can't wait two seconds to see. Everything's happening too quick. So you have to read what's going on and either commit that they're running the ball or they're passing the ball. And the minute that you commit, you become vulnerable. The minute you commit, you have, you have thrown everything towards one of those things, right? Um, and, and, and here this woman, she has thrown everything towards Jesus. She has surrendered to him. You know, there's this, this one um, pastor that, uh, that told the story of this woman who, um, who came up to him after a sermon and said, you know, this whole idea of being like, you know, relating to God fully through grace, you know, being forgiven, this, this whole idea, uh, um, it's kind of scary. And he was like, oh, okay, like, go on. Like, he was intrigued to hear more. And he said, well, if, if, if I'm accepted by God because of my good works, if I'm accepted by God because of my obedience, I still have rights. I'm, I'm like a taxpayer, you know. I, I, I still have rights. I still have control. You know, I, I could still kind of hold some things back from God because I've earned my salvation, right? Um, but, but if God forgives me completely based off of his grace, then, then there's nothing in my life that he can't ask of me. And that's kind of scary. And so here, Simon, now that he sees this whole thing playing out, he can no longer be unbiased about who Jesus is. Right? Because he has to, he has to make it a he's either needs, he, He's not just a teacher here. He's not a questionable prophet. It's like either he's going to reject him or he's going to become like this woman. And, 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 and maybe find himself in the same position as his woman, completely vulnerable, completely dependent upon him. And so Simon can't be unbiased. Now he has to, he has to make a decision. Who, who is this man? And so, um, you know, that, that could be scary. That could be scary. But we see here, can you see the woman's freedom? Can you see the freedom she's experiencing? You know, Jesus said to the woman in, in, in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And, and there's this woman, she has done something that's bold, that's radical, that's embarrassing. All attention's on her, and she could not care less, right? She just has this, this absolute freedom and this absolute peace and this absolute genuine love, Jesus says. Um, and, and, that's, and that's offered to Simon, too, you know? Um, you know, but but Simon right now he's he's holding back and he doesn't have that. You know, I think about um, uh, American Idol, um, and and how uh, you know when when the singers on American Idol, when they're still kind of competing, 
you know, when they're still kind of trying to, to earn their way to the next round, you know, there's a difference between their performances before that and when that final singer gets chosen. And they get, they get up, right, to, to sing this final song, and they just belt it out, right? They, they, they've won. They are accepted. They are the American Idol, right? And, and there's this freedom that they're able to now sing with. They're able to just, to just completely belt it out in their true colors that they didn't have when they were trying to impress the judges, right? And, um, and, and here, this woman is experiencing that. And Simon's not, because if Simon is a good person, Right? If Simon is this righteous man and he's accepted by, by God and he's accepted by society and he feels this, this, uh, this self-esteem about himself because he, he's a good person, he still needs to watch every single move. He still has to navigate through life based on his righteousness as opposed to this grace that this woman is experiencing. Completely alien and not, um, and not uh, uh, based on anything that she's done, but based on God's forgiveness for her. You know, it's funny... Uh, just to illustrate this in another way, uh, I was giving some advice to a friend of mine who's dating, um, and that friend was going through like a little bit of a rough patch in in, in this this dating relationship that they had. And I get done with you know talking to my friend, and I, I, I turn to Karen and I just say, "I'm so glad we're not dating anymore." And Karen goes, "What?" <laughs> And I go, well, the thing is, 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 is now when we, when we fight, when we hash it out, when, when, we're, when we're wrestling, you know, o- over something, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, there, there's this mindset when you're dating where it's like, oh, my gosh, this fight might be the last strike. This, this might be it if I say something wrong. And, and, and I'm so glad that when, when, we, when we fight, when we are, you know, but, but, like, when we have these conversations, there's a freedom in the conversation where I know there's commitment, I know I'm accepted, I know I'm affirmed, right? And this woman is experiencing that with Jesus. And so, um, you know, are, are you in a position or are, are, you, are you hanging back in Simon's position? Have you experienced the transformative love that, and forgiveness that, that God offers you? And so here we have this, this last point. The gospel helps us love others. And so, um, it's impossible, it is absolutely impossible to grasp these first two points, really grasp it, and not love people the way that Jesus did, and not see people the way that Jesus did. You know, First John says it, and uh, I, have, I have the scripture up here. Um, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so we have resources. We have great resources in the gospel. In these first two truths, we have great resources to, to love others, to love others. And, you know, just thinking about this in a practical way, um, reconciliation on a relational level. We have resources in this to have great reconciliation on a relational level. If you're in a fight with your spouse, 
Second time I brought it up. But if you're in a fight with your spouse, right, you know, there's this need, or if you're in a fight with your friend, or if you're in a fight with a, with a coworker, or what have you, but there is, um, there's a knee-jerk reaction where, where you do the Simon thing. You say, at least I'm not, you know, I, I may have done this, but at least I haven't done X, right? Um, and, and you are kind of positioning yourself and posturing yourself in a place of judgment of the other person. But if you two are a debtor, if you, if you, if, if you see, if you, if you just lean into what, what Jesus is saying about our nature, right, then, then we, we shouldn't be surprised when, 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 when we let other people down. We shouldn't be surprised when other people let us down. And frankly, we know, right, that, that we're probably at least somewhat a guilty party, right? And so, but regardless, right, we're not perfect. We are sinners, right? And then the second point, right, but your debt was forgiven. But God loves you in spite of that, right? Now, if, if this more important relationship between me and God is, is completely based on his grace and his forgiveness, how am I going to withhold forgiveness from you? How am I going to withhold grace from you, right? And so those two truths now, if you step back and then zoom back into this fight, all of a sudden you have great, great resources for reconciliation. You have great, great resources to, to actually pursue in love as opposed to this posture of, uh, of, of conflict and judgment. You know, I, I, I just think about how it's impossible, right, if you have really grasped these two points, to have any bit of self-righteousness. H- how could you? How, how could you have any bit of self-righteousness, um, you know, if, if you have truly grasped these these two points. How could you have any bit of, of supremacy, right? Um, if, if, you've, if you've grasped that you too, you know, are, are a sinful person, you too are fully loved by God in the gospel, and so is, is this person. You know, all, all of the commands, um, all the commands that we find in the New Testament, all the commands we find in Scripture, really, um, they're all downstream from these first two truths. If, if, if you parse it out, it's not just forgive people in a vacuum, love the poor in a vacuum, um, you know, like love your enemies in a vacuum. It's for, forgive. Why? Because God first forgave you. We see in First John, love. Why? Because God first loved you. Serve, Romans, 15 says, Romans 15 says, empty yourself out for your neighbors. Why? Because Christ emptied himself out for us, right? Care for the poor, like, like pour yourselves out for the poor. Why? Because, because we were once spiritually impoverished and Christ gave up his riches to win us back to him. He gave up his riches and became poor so that we might be rich in him, right? You know, love your enemies, right? Why? Because, because we, we, we lift up this Jesus who on the cross looked down at his enemies and said, Father, forgive them. They, don't, they know not what they do. And so all of our obedience, all of our obedience, and all of our love for others is downstream from these first two points. It's downstream from what Jesus is saying here in this parable. And look, you know, jo- you know jo- Jonathan just brought it up uh, earlier. You know, we, we live in a broken and unjust world. Radically broken, 
radically unjust world. And in these truths, we are called to respond by seeing people the way Jesus saw them, by loving the vulnerable, by loving the oppressed, right? Um, we, have, we have the resources, but we also have almost kind of the calling to do so. Because when this woman broke her perfume out at the feet of Jesus, she was saying, I'm going to, she's then basically saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to follow you wherever you take me. And where did Jesus go? He went to the cross for the vulnerable. He saw this woman for who she was. And, and, and so for us, in response, we have no other choice if we're seeing people the way that Jesus sees them, to lay down our lives on behalf of, 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 of standing up for those who are victims of these attacks this week, right? Even if it costs us. We, we have the resources to say, I will give it all up if it means that I could organize and rally for a more just society. And so, you know, MLK, I have this quote from him. And, um, you know, th- this, this, was, this was the root of his movement. I have, have it up here, if you could. Here, oh, a little cut off. Here, then, is the Christian weapon against social evil. We are to go out with the spirit of forgiveness, heal the hurts, right the wrongs, and change society with forgiveness. Of course, we don't think this is practical. It's not practical, but if we are to truly right the wrongs in the world, it's going to take hard work. And we have the resources here to give our lives up for the sake of, of, um, of being agents of reconciliation, which, which, uh, which Scripture calls us to. And so we see on a personal, on a relational, on a corporate systemic level, we have great resources here to leverage our lives, to love others because God has first loved us. To throw everything down, I'll, I'll, um, I'll call the worship team up, to throw everything down, to break our perfume over and say, uh, Jesus, take my life. Let me see people the way you do and let me reorient it all around you. Um, you know, as we look at this final, um, you know, at, at the final wor- words of the passage, step to the side. Um, you know, we see that, that it's, it says here that, that um, this woman experienced this peace um, she experiences forgiveness, and, and her faith set her free. And so when, when we walk away from this passage, just, just to reiterate, the, um, the message isn't that, that we're to, to try harder like this woman and just, just give it all up. No, the message is we need to just sit and see Jesus for who he is. We need to sit and be transformed by what God has done for us. And so um, as we respond in worship, Um, would you see that no matter your past, no matter where you see yourself, no matter where others see you, no matter where society sees you, no no matter what the people in this room, anything, none of that is holding you back from God's love. God is proud to identify with you. God is proud to embrace you. And and because that, that was why Jesus came. He came to reconcile us to God. And he came to reconcile us to each other. And so I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray.
Father God, we thank you, Lord. Um, We thank you that um, you have given us a love that we could respond to. You've given us a forgiveness that we could respond to. And God, as we um, as we approach you, Lord, we know that we hold on to control. Lord, we know we hold on to shame. Um, we know that we hold on to our own hatred and our own bitterness towards others, our own unforgiveness, Lord. Lord, but, but would, you, would you transform us? Would you melt our hearts with this truth that you accept us freely on the basis of your work, on the basis of your love, on the basis of your grace? And would we respond with this woman with a freedom, with a peace, with a love that knows no bounds? Lord, we thank you and we pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.